You're listening to The Interview. In-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. The Retail Exchange is brought to you in association with Visual Thinking. Inspiring retail performance. Hello, I'm Jason Bradbury and welcome to this special tech festival episode of the interview series from the Retail Exchange podcast as we talk tech with senior industry professionals and how it's shaping the future of retail. There may be strong regulatory forces at play within retail banking, and rightly so, but it's still an industry that's open to embrace innovation and new digital technologies, providing greater opportunities to improve customer experiences. Open banking, digital assistance, and AI-driven personalization are just some of the forces driving disruption in the retail banking industry. With me to discuss the tech challenges of becoming a successful retail bank in the digital world is Josh Bottomley, Global Head of Digital Data and Development at HSBC. Josh, welcome. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well, Jason. Good to see you. Welcome to our really hot studio. Thank you. We turn the heater up just to put you under pressure. Is that okay? That's fine. All right, good. Um, so, first of all, maybe you should explain that rather grand job title. Uh, I will do. So, digital data and development. Digital is reasonably obvious, as in, how do we become a really successful bank in this digital world? Yeah. Mobile app. Data, the data, the CRM, the analytics. Uh, development is the interesting one. That's both business development, because we think we're going to have to do a lot more partnering in the world that we're heading to. It's organizational development, because if we're going to be good at digital, we've got to start shifting how the organization works. And the really interesting one is actually some strategy development, because we're trying to make sure how do we compete in that digital world. It's got to be a lot more than just creating a great mobile app or using great analytics. So, so with regard to you, what are your, your key responsibilities? What, you know, what's your remit within your role? So operationally, I'm responsible for the mobile and the um, internet banking for our retail wealth management business. I also am responsible for the CRM, the data and the analytics that we use uh, to make the experience more relevant to our customers. And then across the group, uh, I'm responsible more on that development side to think about some of the more strategic opportunities, but also to make sure that we are sensible in some of the decisions that we make across the business group, whether it's some biometrics decisions or things like that. It's tricky, isn't it? Because you, you kind of work within this tech sector and you've got you 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 know you're working with the, the sort of startup community and all these uh, cutting edge technologies and yet you have a duty of care to your customers uh, it, it's so important that you get it right how do you go about keeping ahead of the curve while still you know, looking after the bottom line which is effectively i'm, I'm guessing uh, not just profit but security it is and there's no question if you're a bank Trust is the number one aspect, and that's trust with their money, it's people's trust with their data, it's trust the bank to do the right thing. And there's no question that even when we, we hire people actually from a lot of other industries, and I sometimes say, I'll give a great, great example of a really amazing uh, mobile games app developer who I would love to have, but I could just tell they were just going to get so frustrated by that duty of care that we're not the right place for them. So actually, you've got to embrace some of that complexity. Um, the way I think about it is a bit like a four-legged stool. I mean, you've, like lots of people or industries or companies, you've got to have the customer at the centre. What is it? Where are the customers going? What do they want? Um, you've got to be able to apply data and technology. We are not a tech company. We are a financial services company, but a lot of that is about applying data and technology smartly. And the third leg is this actually really active management of the regulatory, the data, the duty of care, as you're describing it, area. And most of it is there for good reason. I mean, if you think about it, 
you know, we don't want people taking out credit card bills that they can't then afford to pay or mortgages that they won't be able to afford or putting their money in pension assets, which are very volatile and very risky. So you've got to really get to the positive side about why a lot of that regulation is there and embrace it. And then the fourth bit is actually how you then work. Because this isn't like some industries, and I've worked in some of those, where it's simply about get your tech team and your customer team together and simply put your agile team to develop it. We, you, we really have to look at that those risks, those regulatory areas, celebrate them, and then find a way of working that includes that. What are you most passionate about, or the area of focus you're keenest on? So the area I'm, I, I could be very trite and say it's about customers. Actually, customers breaks down into two areas. There are current customers who have clearly frustrations. We know that we need to find a way to make it easier for people to log on whilst maintaining security. We know that we need to make some journeys work um, on the mobile phone or across jurisdictions. But what really gets me excited is, again, it's using data or technology in different ways, and whether it's our technology or a third-party technology, to find a better and smarter way to solve those problems. So I'm really excited. I mean, the whole come back to use of what was finger ID, touch ID, biometrics, is a win-win in terms of it's better for the customer, it's actually more secure. Um, and that applies to lots of other areas, pre populating data fields and finding new technologies that can do that. I want to get onto the biometrics and, 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 and security at that sort of customer-facing level in a moment. But first of all, how is data and analytics transforming the retail banking sector? Data analytics is changing banking slowly but very profoundly. And I say slowly because actually data analytics have been in banking for a long time. If you think about what Experian does, what credit scores companies, they are older than we are in terms of their need to do that and the basic analytics that start to allow that to happen, whether on the consumer side or on the corporate side, are getting there. So actually banks have probably been quite data-centric for quite a long time. What's really different is the use of that data and those analytics for some different sorts of decisions and the different sorts of data that we can use. So some obvious areas about how do we take the unstructured data and do some entity extraction to use it for some of our existing decisions. But the other really exciting one is to make the experience what we call personal and relevant. How do I make it so that your experience with the mobile app, the notifications we send you, make you think, actually, that was really helpful? And just to make an obvious point that people don't always think about, most of our communication is actually some form of servicing. It's the fraud message that you get when we check that you're in France or you're in Asia to make sure it's not someone hacking into your account. It may be something to do with your money where you've made no changes, but because the market's changed or interest rates have changed, we think there's an action that you can take to help you. And sometimes, again, we just need to update customer details because there's lots of rules around that. And that's the majority of where we can start to use some of that data differently and apply some different techniques. What about the shift towards online and mobile is is that i mean is that coming from the consumer or is it brand led the shift is largely consumer i mean 87% now of our transactions are done 87% are now done digitally um in our wow. lead markets of the sales we're by choice of customers we're up to very high percentages. There are some exceptions. I mean, interestingly, Hong Kong, where we are a very big domestic bank with lots of branches, it's not the most uh, online and we need to respond to that need. But the really interesting factor is you ask customers what they'll do and a lot will then say, I still want to go to the branch, I would like to speak to someone in the contact centre and we'll meet that need. 
what's interesting is you then create a really good digital journey, a mobile app journey, people's behavior switches incredibly fast. Yeah, it does. I mean, it has for me, actually. I mean, it's interesting. So I guess I'm probably of the last generation that expect a high street branch of my chosen bank to be in every major town, which really now it would be an, unreal, an unreasonable expectation, wouldn't it? It's, it's, we probably won't have the full branches, but if you think about it, the reason that branches existed in the format they did, there were a lot of security reasons. We needed cash yeah. um, machines, we needed vaults, we needed areas. There's nothing that says when you need to speak to someone, we can't create a pop-up branch, a point of presence to allow you to have the conversation when you want it. And it's shifting a lot. I mean, a lot of the basic activities people did in the branches was literally people going into in a small business, depositing their cash or their checks into their account. It was filling in a form because people needed a signature. It was very transactional. In fact, you know, most of the time that people have spent in branches was on stuff they would rather do on their phone. What people do want is some help when things are difficult. So my the couple of examples that have come out recently, if you're dealing with bereavement, you might be dealing with an elderly parent who mm. you don't have a power of attorney and yet they can't manage their money. There are some real issues where you actually really want to speak to someone, you want to talk to somebody, and we need to find a really convenient way to help customers do that. Is there, just forgive me this notion, this is f fantasy stuff, but you know, is there a scenario where I do walk into a branch and, and I talk to someone, let's say inverted commas in person, but they're not actually there. Is that future scenario anything that you ever even think about or talk about? We've got that in some places. We're doing some tests. If you go in and you can do a live video conversation with an expert. There's a really interesting piece around this on the customer research. When you say to people, do you want to go into the branch and speak to somebody? Some people say, yes, I want someone who understands me, a bit like a relationship manager. And other customers say, no, what I really want is an expert in this particular issue I'm dealing with. It might be to do with my pension. Mortgages. It might be to do with a mortgage. Yeah. Or it might be to do with debt consolidation. Am I spending too much between my credit card debt and the other areas? And you get some really different responses from mm. different customers. And we've got to find a way to meet both needs. So actually, the other thing you might do is you might go into the branch talk to someone and that person there says, well, let me introduce you. Yeah. I'll go into this booth Suddenly, and you'll talk that, to an expert. That stigma that would be there if, if, yeah. if you just said that we have a virtual human uh, assistance would suddenly be gone because you'd just be getting to the person and can actually solve your problem. And that's a really interesting idea. It's, it's something that I've worked with uh, in, uh, in my other life as a university lecturer. And I, I did a lecture using a, a robot, if you like, called Double. It's not really a robot in the kind of... Asimov definition of it, but it's, it's like an iPad on wheels. And I sent this thing up to the University of Lincoln, but I did the lecture from my front room in, in London. Um, and it, it does make a lot of sense, especially in rural communities, where you're not just putting a person from HSBC in the local post office or whatever it is, but you're actually putting an, a specialist, a, almost a kind of, you know, world-leading expert on whatever you, the issue that you need resolved is. It's, it's an interesting proposition. Can we talk about bi biometrics? Because yeah, well, let me just... Let me oh, use, please. I, no, no, I'm, I'm, I feel embarrassed. I thought you might think, what's he going on no, about? No, I think it's really relevant that the... If you think about that, both... I can both be the expert and I can have a, as you say, some sort of representation in the conversation. But there are a couple of things that are really interesting. One is that 
I don't know where, how it's going to play out for consumers. There may well be people where artificial intelligence gets good enough, the format, and people become really comfortable speaking to some visualised version of a bot in that way. We will follow the customer. We'll be very clear if it is a bot that it is a bot, not a real person. But there's a very plausible scenario where that becomes the customer's choice of the way of interaction they're wanting. And the really interesting research that you'll probably know better than me is you'll, you'll do this of all the, the people who are... Um, diffusing minds and the emotional reaction they have when their robot uh, mind diffuser gets sometimes up. gets blown up and you see these emotional reactions. So we know that humans have that ability to create those relationships. The other example is the growth in virtual influencers on social media platforms. This is an, inc an amazing thing. So these are influencers that, you know, wear Gucci or the latest trainers, uh, and they are plainly not human. They are CGI. And the people that follow them in their millions understand that, and they frankly don't care. They're interested in this person's, quote, life. They laugh at their jokes. They laugh at their little videos. They follow their, their Spotify playlist, and they follow them. And these, these new entities are getting major investment um, in different sectors. It's, it's, at the moment, it's, it's kind of... Teenage girls the, the, is the demographic that these particular virtual influencers are, are focused on. But who knows? It could grow. And it, and, and it is very plausible, as you say, that we could be, uh, as long as it's acknowledged, perfectly comfortable with a, a virtual uh, bank assistant. But um, uh, I want to ask about biometrics. Um, it, I find it interesting because, for me, I, I find the online... No specific bank in mind, but I, I find the, the online banking process a little frustrating. So knowing what I know about technology, I understand what I could be getting right now, and I'm not, it's not quite there. So I'm still entering numerical passwords as well as, you know, favourite phrases and, um, you know, my, my, my goldfish's name. <laughs> and um, and I, what I'm not using, for example, is my fingerprint on a phone that's supposedly in, in every other regard, is capable of capturing that data in a secure way. What has to happen for all these dots to be joined? Well, I could tease you and say you need to change your bank because we've been having the fingerprint ID and now face ID um, operating. And in fact, I think we were, we were, we've, we, we were out on face ID in, with, when Apple and the iPhone uh, in more markets than any other bank straight away. Wow. We also were the first bank with voice biometrics on the call centres. Having said all that... What then often happens is you get other journeys. People lose their phone, they change their phone. And again, what, you, what you've got with a fingerprint, just to be very specific, is the fingerprint is associated with the device. And we are believing through various reasons that you've told us that you, the device is yours and you will report if it's, if it's not there. So actually, we need these additional security systems as well. And we do a lot of transaction monitoring. We actually monitor 650 million transactions a month. Um, to look for potentially fraudulent or uh, different areas. I think it is going to get better. I mean, what, what I like about the biometrics and the technology is more and more of those journeys are going to get simplified, both to make it easy for the customer and from the point of view of protecting the customer. But it is a, it is the cliche, it's, it's a long road to get there because we have to manage a whole bunch of potential risks or attack vectors and that's what i mean that's one of the reasons again people trust banks because of the effort we put into that that's how your role has changed isn't it that's the main change in in retail banking is, is like you say you said you said we're not a tech company but of course you, you are i mean you have to be that's part of your dna now isn't it it's a really interesting we can get you can get into really lots of semantics about this as i said earlier 
applying data and technology to solve the customer's opportunities and the problems is critical. And you can't do that without understanding the technology and making it happen. So clearly, I think the days where you could be a banker and technology was completely a different team in a different location has gone. Just to give you a, a, a crazy analogy, in, in the first dot-com boom, I was in the media industry, and I used to joke that if the editor and the production director of the newspaper, we are in a print works after all, we, we had the conversation, didn't speak to each other for a year, the newspaper would just be fine because the production would happen, the, the content would be edited. That doesn't work in newspapers in an online world. And in the same way, that doesn't work in a bank. The, the, the business decisions, the banking decisions, and the technology and the data are inextricably linked now. What about the talent required to make these changes or to maintain the changes that you've already put in place? How's that changed? How, how are you finding those with the skills you need for this new tech age? Um, there is a, a shift. I, I would say we, we need people to be very customer-oriented. We need people to understand how banking works. And we do need people who understand how to use data and technology to solve those problems dif differently. And because of the complexity, you actually also need to be pretty good at dealing with people and influencing people and building teams. So I think we are going to see a greater number of new roles. And actually, there are of the roles that I've brought into the bank and the, the, the team now supporting what we're doing is, is several thousand, about 2,000 of those roles are roles that didn't even exist in the bank. So the idea of product in a bank meant the product of a credit card, not the customer journeys or the customer experiences we were trying to create. Um, in technology, we didn't have as many people as we needed who were good at integrating third-party technology because most of the technologies banks had were all built in-house through their own systems. So it is changing quite a lot, and there's both the requirements and what we expect of our people is increasing. By the way, it does make it a more interesting career because the training people get, the development skills yeah. are going up at the same time. Which other brands, so those outside retail banking would you hold up as, as having got it right that's a great question i think the I, I suppose what i think of is for certain areas who has solved that problem well so i came from google before this i think what google had done well was to be able to really put a cross-functional team together to solve a problem again using the technology and the data and you know, it's now well known to you talk about MVP type language, but that was really not that pervasive, that common even 10 years ago against other sectors. So I think just in terms of putting some of those teams together, that would be a good example. Mm -hmm. um, there are some of the retailers, actually not, not recently clearly more challenging, but if you think about the, the early 2000s, the way at the time John Lewis and you take a UK example, got their omni-channel processes working. I think they sorted that out as a traditional business ahead of some businesses. And there are, there are other examples from different sectors around different, different areas and problems. When you look at the current retail tech climate, what, what, what gives you the greatest cause for optimism? I guess another way of putting that is, um, what, what are you most excited about? Oh, the, the excitement, the reason that um, I do my job, and actually I think a lot of the team do their job, is I think we can give people, give people this sense of a lot more um, positive opportunities associated with 
their money. HSBC has this brand thing of helping people fulfill their dreams. And we have this expression in our marketing of together we thrive. And I think that's very real, whether it's, a, again, as a corporate or as a, as a retail customer, there are ways we can do it. Now, that doesn't mean the times are always going to be good and there's always going to be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But helping people understand with the information, some of the decisions they make, that they can reduce some of the stress of their life, whether it's to do with the debt. Um, help. Another really good example, you know, people are, a lot of people get tempted into overspending. Well, we can start to provide some messaging and communication that helps people feel good about when they've saved money. So how can I make you feel as good when you save the money? Is that... that yeah, that feeling that of sense debt when makes you, you feel bad. When you spent it, yeah, yeah. rather than you, than, than you spent it. So I think that whole... The changing this experience to be much more, as, as I say, personal to you, making it feel relevant is is what's really exciting. It's ironic, isn't it, really, that, that as we strive to make advances with with AI and, and, and technology and we take more of the person out of the process, there are opportunities to make the banking experience more personal. <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, okay, you mentioned Google. Um, I want to talk about your, your personal career. Um, you know, what's the story behind your journey? So I think really my, um, my journey has always been about, again, applying this data and technology to different parts of our lives as consumers. That was in the media industry um, in the first dot-com boom. I did that for some professional services industries, um, so for the legal industry, for, for tax industry. Um, at Google itself was, as we know, in a, in, a, in a bunch of different areas, and now doing it for banking. And just to give you a sense of the scale of what this is, one of the reasons why HSBC, why banking, in about mid-2000s, the media industry in the world was about $650 billion, and that was enough to get the peak of what Google was doing, Facebook doing an investment. The banking industry is sort of six or seven times that, and the revenue opportunity and the business opportunity for the customer, and again, the customer benefit from, from how this can evolve and change if we get it right, is just of a magnitude bigger scale of what can happen in, change, in terms of changing people's lives. And I should say, I'm a big believer in, in finance as a positive force for people's life. The, the fact that money allows people to get mortgages, to buy homes that they otherwise would have to save the whole way through their life to get, and you wouldn't actually be able to afford your home until you're yeah. retired. Uh, the ability to spend in different countries, even though those people don't know who you are and make it work. I mean, I'm, I'm a really, I'm a very positive believer, where done well, that finance can be a force for good. So on that, what were you, what, how did you feel previously? What were your previous views of the retail banking industry? I think... Because what you've just described is not how most people view it. No, I think what I thought before was that it was very cautious. I thought because I didn't, it, I thought people were thinking about customers and what they could do, but they were so cautious because of whether it was regulation. I wasn't even quite sure we all know about some of the technology systems that date back to the 1970s and these other areas. It was slow to move. What you realize inside is there are a lot more people trying to do the right thing and to try and move it faster. It genuinely is a complicated problem. We have, I'm going to give you just a, a very good example. At the same time as we are trying to protect people against anti-money laundering and fraud, we are also trying to make sure we're very observant of privacy rules, not necessarily sharing data internationally when we can't. 
solving the needs where you've got this, what you've got some different requirements that feel that their intention and you're trying to navigate a way through is a genuinely difficult problem. It's, a, it's a, literally a minefield, isn't it? These converging currents and you don't want to get drowned in the middle. What drives you, though, on a personal level and what's behind your brand of, of leadership? I'm going to answer the second part of that before the first one. So what, what's interesting, when I came to HSBC after um, a couple of years, I was known as the person who really believed in these cross-functional teams. You put a team together and with a clear either customer issue to solve or an opportunity and help them, enable them to make that work and get the right skills in. And I definitely do believe that. You can't be, as a senior leader, the, the days where you could be sort of directive, set the goal, and then you'd, have, you'd turn up once a month to a steering group and say, opine on the progress. That's, that's long gone. And I think I'm definitely of that. That is my style. That's of my generation. It's what I've learned from different sectors. I think on top of that, what I think I bring or try and bring particularly is, and this is necessary in the world, is to create common language, some common thinking of these different skills that come together. So how do you get you know, people who've really interested in the technology together with people who've um, think about the customers together again in our banking cases with products but if you think about what i did in legal services that was very similar with lawyers again often with technology and the business um and again right back to that time in the media industry where as i said the journalists didn't feel they often needed to talk to the technology people and certainly not to the production teams um it's it's how do you create language and a framework that these people feel they've got a common purpose can speak together and solving a common area and i think that's really the heart of what has been my leadership journey. Josh, absolutely fascinating stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast in association with Visual Thinking. Stay up to date with new podcast episodes by subscribing online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.